Next month will mark five years since that inferno in a tower block in London, England killed more than 70 people. It raised alarm bells around the world about how it could happen there. Could it happen elsewhere? The fire, it turned out, started in a kitchen on a lower floor, quickly spread up the building due to the cladding that had been used to retrofit the structure a few years earlier, trapping people on the upper floors of the 24-floor Grenfell Tower. Here's a report from British News that awful night. Beneath a still moon, a blaze of such ferocity, it is almost filmic. A vision as near to hell as could be imagined, as the flames soar through 24 floors, engulfing all in their path. The warnings this building was a fire trap apparently went unheard, but it was impossible to miss the screams of those begging to be saved from it. That is a report from ITV News from the night of the fire nearly five years ago now. That fire exposed flaws in regulation, fire safety, emergency response, victim support, um, all of it being tackled by an ongoing inquiry, still happening, it continues to this day. And the fight for justice and accountability from the families of the victims also goes on. Joining me now from London is Karim Musali. His uncle, Hesham Rahman, was one of those who lost their lives that night. He's also the vice president of a support group for victims and their families called Grenfell United. Karim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Um, it, seems, it seems in many ways incredible that it's been five years since that awful night. Um, you've, often, you've said in the past that life changed that day. Uh, how so? Yeah, I mean, um, five years feels like a, a long time, but <clears throat> for me, everything still feels very, very clear and vivid, and it was—it feels like it's almost only been a week. But we—we <clears throat> um, we have a saying, me and my wife. We had a, a life before Grenfell and a life after Grenfell, and after Grenfell, I guess um, life changed because our our eyes were open to to a world that we didn't know existed, but we're very much living in this world. <clears throat> and it uncovered so many upsetting and depressing things, I guess. And, and I mean, most importantly, what I've taken away is, is, is learning that the, the system and, and the powers that be that are supposed to be there to protect its people, protect its most vulnerable, um, only seems to protect itself and seems to, uh, be more worried about an uprising from the people than looking after looking after them, um, especially in disasters like we've seen with Grenfell. I mean, the immediate aftermath we were we were left alone um, by the state, by the by 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 everybody, and we were treated like like criminals almost, like we were going to to riot and destroy our communities when when all we wanted was some information about what happened to our families, who in my case were technically missing up until my uncle was buried in September. So it's been a really sort of weird and crazy process um, seeing the world for what it really is. I remember I used to work in the city um, and unfortunately was made redundant in 2018. And I remember immediately after Grenfell being at work and everyone's rushing past and living their lives, drinking their coffees, reading their paper. And, it, and, and I remember just it making me really sort of upset and, and angry almost to a certain extent. Like how could, how could you be continuing on with your lives as normal when a couple of miles down the road, the, the building's still smoking. 
you know, and it, 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 it was just a crazy feeling. And um, our lives will never be the same, really. Um, I, I could never go back into the role I was doing before, you know, selling cars in that corporate world. And um, it just completely changes your perspective on everything. And it, and it also shifts your priorities, you know. Mm-hmm. time with with family and loved ones and 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 self growth and and that type of stuff is is become increasingly more important than any type of title or job title or or, or money or anything like that um and you know grenfell did that cuz you you had an attachment to grenfell you spent your family had other members of your family lived there in the past you'd spent time there um and then your uncle moved in and was living on the top floor and you were there were some concerns about that uh, weren't there yeah absolutely so um when my family first came to the country they all lived together in grenfell tower um and then eventually my grandmother and granddads uh, moved out and, and lived on the surrounding estate which is called the lancaster west estate just underneath the tower um and my great uncle stayed there until he he moved to a home um again nearby and i remember uncle hisham being so happy when he received um his place at grenfell and and yeah i was worried mainly because it was just so high he was right on the top floor and there were times and it was known that you know the lifts would would always not work and 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 uncle had a walking problem so i knew that if 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 and when that happens he's going to he's going to be stuck he's he's not going to be able to walk on walk up and down 23 flights of stairs and that did happen and he spent a lot of time in his flat and um he spent a lot of time on on social media writing poetry and stuff like that which is sort of like a a new thing that i learned about him at the time that he liked to express himself through poetry which was quite beautiful really um and when i would say these things to him and say uncle i'm just worried about you being being so high up you'd be like no i love it i'm 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 closer to god um but i mean from the local authority point of view they they knew he was disabled they knew he had issues walking but yet they they left him up at the top floor and there wasn't any sort of plan or anything like that um to evacuate him if 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 something had happened so there were there were many a times where he was pretty much stuck up in this flat because he couldn't get down and i am i gather that you like so many of us around the world first saw the images uh on tv yeah so i um wasn't there on the night and in a way um, it's probably a good thing because had I have been there, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you right now because no force in the world would have stopped me from running up those flights of stairs and grabbing my uncle and bringing him down. I was super fit and super strong. But I woke up for work like a normal day. I was getting ready and my wife had screamed and I remember her scream like it was yesterday. It sounded as if somebody had broken into the house. I'd never heard her scream like this before. And she came and showed me sort of live images from, I'm not sure which media outlet, but it was the tower completely engulfed in flames. And of course I was shocked. And the first thing I did was, was call uncle. And the weird thing about that was his phone was still ringing, which made me feel that he was, he was okay. Like he was safe. He, he'd, he'd survived. Um, and that continued to happen throughout the day. And I, I rushed down. I got there at about 7.30 in the morning. And as you can imagine, and, and as so many people saw, the, the whole community, the whole surrounding area was just, it was crazy. You know, uh, we had loads of people that come in and gave donations, clothes, water and support, etc. And there were other people that were just coming to sort of help. And um, 
but also there was a lot of crazy stuff going on at the time as well you know i mean it was really overwhelming and when you've almost been well when you've been abandoned by the local authority the 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 government and the police are looking at you like you're some type of criminals ready to to riot or or, or start an uprising you know, we were we were left to our own, running around like headless chickens, just trying to piece together any bit of information about what had happened to to our uncle. And a lot of the families were doing the same thing, and it was through sort of, you know, you give me your posters, I'll give you my posters. We put up these posters, take my number, I take your number, and it was, and that's how we we found things out, and we knew where to go, and and timings of when meetings were happening, and all of this sort of stuff, because we organized ourselves because we knew that nobody was coming to to help. I was astounded to learn that the first inkling you had that perhaps your uncle hadn't survived was from writing on a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that's a moment that stuck with me for a while, but even then, Ben, I, I, I still tried to convince myself that he was still alive. I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to believe that he was, you know, I, I didn't want to believe that I, I, I watched him, burn Uh, when i got there the tower was still engulfed in flames from the top floor and a couple of floors below it and i was just trying to convince myself that no i'm not witnessing my uncle steph right now he's safe somewhere maybe unconscious in a hospital or something like that but that that moment um was a really it was a big shocker because I tried to speak to as many firefighters as possible and they, and you could see the look on their faces that they'd experienced something quite horrific, but they weren't talking. They were obviously being told not to talk or not to share any bits of information. And that was probably the first time that we received any bit of information from some type of authority, if you will, in terms of what had happened to our loved ones. And, and it was that moment that I realized, oh my God, the, the severity of the situation, the fire was so bad, um, not only outside, but inside that they couldn't even get to the top floors and the top floors burnt the hottest and for the longest. Um, so that was really difficult. This was a message that was written anonymously on a t-shirt saying that firefighters apologizing for not having been able to get beyond the 21st floor and saying sorry for those who were there. I was speaking with Karim Musili, his uncle, Hashem, Hashem Rahman was uh, one of the 72 people who died that night uh, in June 2017 in Grenfell Tower. As we approach the five-year anniversary, uh, coming up, we'll talk about the fact that there are still very few answers as to what happened um, and very few who've been held accountable for it. We'll be back. I'm speaking with Kareem Musili. Uh, his uncle, Hasham Rahman, was one of the 72 who lost their lives uh, in June of 2017 in the Grenfell Tower fire in London, in London's richest borough, in the UK's richest borough. And since then, there have been many questions as to who should be held responsible, what went wrong, uh, how was the cladding that was found to have been flammable allowed to be put on the building? Uh, Kareem, it's been nearly five years now. Um, I think people perhaps have lost sight, at least in Canada, of what has happened since. Have you found any answers? Have there been any answers to what went wrong? Who was responsible? Have they been held accountable? I mean, so uh, public inquiry was very quickly set up by the government to uncover the truth to what happened before, during and after the fire. Um, and we're currently in sort of phase two of that at the moment. However, the inquiry is due to, to finish this year. Now, I believe the inquiry has done a very good job at uncovering the truths or some of the truths as to 
how this was allowed to happen, how these dangerous and combustible materials were allowed to be put on this tower and, and, and everything else that, that, that sort of went between it. And we now know that these dangerous materials were manufactured by companies that were fraudulently testing these materials, doing whatever it takes to get them passed and out in the, into the market. Also, our um, government has deregulated the industry where we now have a situation where if you want to write a new regulation in terms of building safety or anything like that, uh, then two regulations need to be removed from the from the initial sort of um, uh, booklet, if you will. Right. So we have this culture in, in in this country at the moment where the the rules and regulations are very loose, um, and these companies and and corporations have manipulated that. Five years later, when you look back, are you more convinced now than even then that this was preventable? I mean, this was the government knew since two thousand and two the issues of, of cladding fires, but yet did nothing about it. And then we had the Lackanor House fire uh, where six people lost their lives. A public inquiry was had, recommendations were made um, that would have seen things like sprinklers being put into Grenfell Tower during its refurbishment. And this, this never happened. It wasn't taken seriously. The recommendations gathered dust and, um, and Grenfell was allowed to happen. I mean, the warnings were being sent I mean, up until... T- two weeks before the actual fire to Gavin Barwell, who was uh, a minister at the time, who's now now become a lord. And he kept ignoring these warnings. He was he received eight warnings, I believe, and they had to send him letters by recorded delivery because he wasn't responding to issues of um, building fire safety and, 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 and cladding uh, fire safety. And this these were ignored. So, yeah, for sure, there have been not only one, but many of opportunities throughout the past couple of decades where the government um, and even the local authorities could have done something about preventing. Grenfell was, 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 was no freak accident. Grenfell was, was, was definitely a preventable disaster. Our families should never have died the way that they died and they were neglected. And that's how they're being remembered at the moment. And, it, that bothers me, you know, they're being remembered by a culture of neglect and corruption and greed. And even still to this day, five years later, you know, Grenfell has uncovered this, this national building crisis. You know, this cladding is still out there in so many buildings. People are, you know, losing their livelihood, losing their homes. People have taken their lives because of it. But yet five years later, we failed to act to make sure that Grenfell doesn't happen again. History is repeating itself and the lessons are not being learned, and nobody is being held to account. Do you have any faith that the findings of this inquiry will lead to change? Are you seeing anything, any sign of optimism out there that, that perhaps the 72 people die, who died that night, including your uncle, perhaps that it will have at least led to something? I, I, I really want to, but I can't. I can't see that happening. I mean, phase one, the, the phase one of the public inquiry finished and the recommendations were published in October 2019. We were promised by the government that all of the recommendations to them were going to be implemented. It's going to be nearly three, it's going to be three years in October this year. Not one single recommendation that has been directed at the government from the report has been implemented. So I, I, 
And this is the issue that we have, that the public inquiry cannot guarantee the government to act. And if we look at the history of public inquiries in this, in this country, it tells us that nothing really comes from it. So we're starting to think, so has the public inquiry been set up to prevent justice? Because we've learned a lot. The picture's been painted. We know who was involved and what their roles were and, and, and who should be accountable. But yet nothing has happened. So I want to be optimistic. I want to have faith. I, I want there to be some, some type of justice and, and change. But the way things are going and, and, and if we look at how history has played out, it, it, it doesn't seem that way. Kareem Masili, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me.